Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie. Welcome back to our weekly podcast. I hope these are as informative to you as they are to me. I'm learning a lot more than I ever thought I knew. I thought I knew a lot, but you know, as we go through these, these are really very good learning experiences and places to hear experts, learn about other experts, and really delve into a topic if it's of interest or it affects your life somehow. So feel free to write in, call me, text me, email me, whatever it is that you need so that I can get some good feedback from you and we can continue to make these even better each time. Last week, we had a really great one called Emotional Connection. We talked about and learned about what it means to be emotionally connected and why it is so important to be emotionally connected. It's not just being aware of your feelings. It's a whole lot more than that. We also discussed ways to increase our emotional connections within ourselves. And then once we're solid within ourselves, how we can then take those connections and connect to others who are connected. We also talked about poor emotional connection leading to anxiety and depression and much, much more. So take a listen to that podcast. It's on my website at www.drsophie.com or on my downloaded free iTunes phone app, Dr. Sophie on Call. Help yourself. It's all there for you. This week, we are talking about brooding and rumination. We're going to learn what actually is brooding. Is it somebody in a bad mood or somebody who's a chronic complainer? How is it actually different from worrying? We're also going to hear about the dangers associated with it, with brooding, and what is a ruminative cycle. Sounds scary, but you're going to learn. It's pretty interesting. And then we're also going to talk about how we can get help if we are a brooder, how we can get help for a child who is suspect to brooding. And joining me today, guest expert to talk about brooding is Dr. Grace Barron. Are you with me, Dr. Grace Barron? How are you? Great. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for giving me your time and expertise. Sure. So tell me a little bit about you. You're a board-certified psychiatrist and psychoanalyst. Love the psychoanalyst part. Yes, a, a psychiatrist and a psychoanalyst, and I just published a book um, uh, with my my nickname, which is Carrie Barron. My middle name is Caroline, um, and with my husband Alton Barron, called the Creativity Cure, um, in which we talk about ways to approach anxiety and depression and rumination, um, brooding. So, um, yes, that that is uh, my background. Very nice, and you did that collaboratively with your husband. Yes. Is that a tough process? <laughs> I would say it is in some ways. It was wonderful in some ways. And, you know, we had our tips and others, but it, it was overall great and yeah. things very interesting. As long as you won, that's all that matters. Right, of course. Right. So <laughs> what do you t- tell me about brooding? I mean, people hear the word, they think like, oh, it's just a complainer, it's a warrior. What is it actually, or rumination? Well, first of all, it's a very painful state. You know, I, I think that sometimes, um, you know, it can be off-putting for those listening if someone repeats their painful worries over and over again. But I think, you know, as a ther- as therapists, I think that we are more um, attuned to where where these kinds of behaviors come from, um, perhaps than a spouse might be or, or a friend might be. And, you know, I think we can be empathic or sympathetic that, that there's something um, stuck. The person is stuck in some way in, in a painful state, and we want to work very hard to help them get out of that. And we mean painful emotional state. Yes. Okay, and would that be described how? Anguish, anxiety, fear? Could be anything. It could be, it could be all of those things. And I, and, you know, and I think what happens with brooding or rumination is it's almost like running in a circle and or, or not really getting anywhere um not not around a track but but you know a spiraling downward kind of phenomenon so i think what happens is 
there, there's a fantasy unconsciously or deeply that if we keep thinking about something, then we're going to get it. We're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to be able to solve it, and then we're going to be free. And, you know, as a psychoanalyst, I strongly believe that self-knowledge, the truth shall set you free, insight is very, very useful. But when you have really thought through something many, many times, you, it can start to have diminishing returns, and you really need to move, shift the thoughts. Shift the thoughts, uh, distract, and find a way to let go of that which you cannot solve. Okay, I, I, I understand that. Give me an example. Oh, let's see. Um, you know, oh, I, an example of something that I hear a lot is, you know, why did he leave me? Uh, why did he leave me? What did I do? You know, someone comes into my office and feels very hurt, very injured because they went out on several dates or they were dating somebody for six months, and then all of a sudden he disappeared didn't return phone calls, didn't, no explanation, and... And it can't just simply be because he's a man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've known some really wonderful, sensitive men, yes, so, I know. so, you know, I think, um, in this case, it, you know, it, it, it sounds like it's... I know, I'm yeah. just teasing you. So but, what do you say to these people? Well, you know, I think it's very hard to, to let go when you don't have an answer, and I think we have to work really hard on self-esteem issues because they're very much linked to getting into a ruminative brooding state. I think people who have more self-esteem are able to let go more easily, are able to change the narrative, are able to, to let go of negative thoughts about themselves and sort of make it more about the other person because often it really is about the other person. And see, why are people that are ruminating afraid to ever let it go, thinking, well, maybe it's nothing wrong with me, it's something wrong with them. Is it really an innate self-esteem issue? I think, you know, I think it can be. I also think there can be a little bit of an obsessional quality that, I mean, it, I don't want to speak too much in generalities because everybody's different, and I think it's really, really important, you know, as a therapist to find out what's very unique and special about each person and how they work and what their, you know, what the cocktail, the psychological cocktail, so to speak, is for them. But uh, you know, there are sometimes when you know we can be self-destructive. You know, we don't, we won't, don't want to let ourselves be happy. We don't want to let ourselves be free. We don't want to let ourselves move on to something better. And there can be reasons for, you know, for kind of a self-punishing existence. Right. And so, like, if they were in your office, you'd kind of look at things like their superego, their parenting, all those kinds of things that might add to a place where they just can't set themselves free and they have the whole onus and responsibility on them. Absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, um, people... When people are exposed to um, cultures where they aren't so introspective or it's not such a me kind of mentality, when they get out there and they run, go running or um, fishing or they're into activities with friends, cooking together, I don't know, making crafts together, these are things that can shift people's minds to a, another place. It sounds very simple, but... Action and activity is very good for breaking out of rumination and brooding. I don't know if I've yeah. solutions already, but I, I um, you know. No, I understand. And so what yeah. you're really saying are hobbies are great ego strengths. They can be, because especially with other people. I mean, if you, either you can become, if you become very absorbed in a task, very absorbed in a project that interests you, certainly it can shift your mind and take you away from a ruminative state. 
Um, and also just distraction. Even Freud talked about distraction as as a method, you know, for moving the mind. Okay. I want to read you an email we got from Becky from Palo Alto asks, when I get a bad grade on a big exam early in the semester, I get a feeling in the pit of my stomach that doesn't go away until I get a good grade in the same class to offset it. I literally cannot have a good time until I do this. Is this brooding or is this unhealthy? Mm-hmm. What do you think? That's a great question. That's a great question yeah. because because here's the thing. You want to have a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of discomfort in order to reach a higher place. People who are striving, who can strive and live with a certain amount of tension in order to achieve more, can ultimately provide themselves with happiness, you know, through position or through accomplishment. Right, right. So that, that's really great. But there has to be a kind of... It depends on how extreme it is. I mean, if you're having ulcers or, or you know, or indigestion or, or you can't sleep or you, you can't go out and see friends or, you know, do anything for pleasure, then, you know, we'd want to think about that. Okay. And so there's a balance and it's great to have that kind of driving anxiety. But if there's too much, you could get paralyzed and ruminate. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Let's take a uh, voicemail we got. Hang on. Hey, Dr. Sophie. My name is Alan. Calling about something that's recently happened to me. I relocated for a job from uh, Denver to Los Angeles, and uh, the job is great. It's in uh, finance, and it's been a couple months already, and things are just really slow at work, and I feel like this is not what I signed up for. I'm starting to you know, lose sleep because my wife moved out here with me, and um, it kind of really just shifted gears completely and I'm just I just feel like the money at my firm it's like a private equity firm so they invest a certain amount of money and I feel like what they've been telling me in my interviews isn't exactly what's really happening that they actually don't have all the money that they they say they have and I don't know you know exactly what I should be doing should I stick it out or should I already be looking for a new job should I be talking to my bosses about this. Basically, I feel like I'm trying to read, you know, the writing on the wall. And right now, it doesn't look good, and it's just scary because it's just when I've started this job. Uh, any advice? I, I greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Interesting. What do you think? Well, first of all, um, you know, I think it, it can be emotionally draining to make such a big change, and especially if you're concerned about, you know, your loved one, your wife, which, you know. Is, is a good thing. It's all a good thing, and I think it's a great thing to take risks. And we have to get perspective on on risk taking. You know, through a life the life cycle, through a lifetime, there are going to be times when you make an educated guess, and it may not be all you um, hope for. But I think there are solutions. You need. I think you know you need to gather information, have open communication with your bosses, try to really get a, a strong sense of the reality there. What, you know what you can hope for and what you can't and gather up that information and then maybe stay or make another decision. But how long did you say you were there? He was. I think he's been there um, about five months. Five months. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a bit of time. It is. Yeah. I would really just, you know, try to have a direct communication with, with the employer. Yeah, that's what I, I, that's the best thing to do, up front, be transparent. Right, right. Okay, I have a. I want to ask you a quick question, then we'll take a uh, an email. 
self-soothing is it possible that some people find that rumination that whole circular thing you talked about is self-soothing when they're in a panic state or they're upset or being left or whatever I think that's a, that's that's such a great thought because it's almost that's how it relates to obsessionality you know sometimes it's it's not exactly the same thing but there's a kind of a link between you know people repetitive behavior whether it might be hand washing or going back and checking things um, it it can calm anxiety so yes I think rumination can can play play a part in that but it is limited because it really isn't going to take you to a better place ultimately got it okay. Yeah. La, Latoya from Chicago is asking us if my sister has the le the littlest fight with her boyfriend. She calls me hysterically crying and acts like the world is ending, and it spills into all aspects of her life until it eventually gets resolved. How can I keep her from being so dramatic? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the thing about that is that um, you know I I don't know the sister, but sometimes people can't. It can become habitual. It can become a habit to dramatize. Right, and, and they get addicted to that kind of thing. Right, right. It can become addictive, and especially if, if we enable it. So I think that, again, you know, we can shift. Uh, we have to sort of teach people to not be awfulizing and ca catastrophizing and try to become less um, hysterical and I, I want to uh, qualify that because, you know, sometimes when we feel overwhelmed by emotion, it's very hard to stop that right. feeling. Right, um, But I think it's, it's good when you're not in that state to have some thoughts that you can draw upon that you sort of pre-prescribe for yourself. Yeah, like, before. like tools or tools. something. Exactly, yes. That might be calming. And, you know, you might want to say, okay, what's the history of this? Every single time we get into a fight and I think it's the end of the world, I realize it's happened 17 times and it really hasn't been the end of the world. Right. We've, we've worked that out. Right. And maybe let your head go into it more than your heart. Right. And what do you think, as a psychiatrist, I would think that, I want to know your opinion, what do you think about at that point if those feelings are so overwhelming and they have the tools that kind of help them limit it? Is there a role for medication sometimes in that to hold back some of those symptoms so that they can get a hold of those situations, gain confidence and master them, and then maybe get off of it? Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, first of all, I would say that, you know, antidepressants are, can be very useful, but, you know, there are statistics that indicate that, you know, it could be that 75% of the population that's on them, you know, might not need them as much as we think. Right. So, um, but there are definitely, they, there are useful, I think, in times of great stress or trauma or crisis or major depression or anxiety that just feels completely uncontrollable. So, yes, I think there can be a role for them, but there are many, many, many other ways right. also to, um, to treat anxiety. Yeah, and limit those symptoms. Yes. All right, let's do another voicemail. Okay. Hi, Sylvie. This is Morgan from Connecticut. Partly because I have a younger brother from uh, my, my parents, actually. My dad got remarried, and uh, he's much younger than I am. And, you know, my sister and I were, were fairly, have been fairly successful, went to good colleges, uh, got good grades, played sports. Were, and I, I feel like he, and I, I don't know if it's, if, if it's my dad and, and my, my stepmom, but he feels a lot of pressure, I think, to, to meet our accomplishments. And when he doesn't, he gets incredibly depressed and down and you know doesn't want to talk to anyone and this can last a few hours 
or it can last even up to, you know, a few days and it really starts affecting the other parts of his life. How can we sort of help him to see that he doesn't need to, to compare himself to anyone else and just be himself, but also just this, this act of, of constant just beating yourself up about something and not, you know, being able to let go of it. How can we sort of get rid of this? Thank you so much. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing about that, too, is that you would want to know a little bit about the culture. How old is he now? I think he's maybe, I think, 10. 10, 10. Okay. So, you know, this is a, in this, um, this generation of, of kids is, I think, under a lot of pressure to yeah, perform. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's become very, very distorted for these children. And I think parents can have, I don't know about his parents, but a lot of parents can have a lot of anxiety about pushing, 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 because they feel like it's the only way their kid's going to be safe or okay, but it's not really true. And I think pulling back from these external forms of validation is very important and trying to, um, you know, I was just reading something this morning about mental health for children involves playing and exploring and being bored and not performing at such an age, you know, not feeling the pressure to perform at such an age. And so I think, you know, it would be very good to to help him develop other ways of, of creating happiness. Yeah, and like you said earlier, hobbies, all those kinds of distractions that help also build you feeling good about you. Right. Okay. I have another one I want to read to you. It's an email, and it's from Jamie from New Jersey. I am really worried about getting fired at work, and it's really affecting me. What should I do? Mm-hmm. And it's all that I can think about every day, even when I'm at work. Right. Please help. Well, first I would want to find out why do you think you're going to be fired? Because sometimes that can be a fantasy or an anxiety that's, you know, exaggerating the circumstances. Or sometimes we can be doing things that we're, that we're sort of vaguely aware of that might be um, hurting, you know, our chances for promotion or for staying at a job, but somehow we're doing it, but we're not really owning that we're doing it, so we might be setting ourselves up. Okay, and that, that leads me to another question then. If somebody, and it's similar to what we talked about earlier, it's like a self-sabotage because they lo- there are people who like getting caught in that circular thing where if I'm not going to get fired, I'm going to do something to get fired because I should get fired because I shouldn't have this job and I really right. don't want the job, exactly. that whole thing. Is that what brooding is? Is that that trap? Well, you know, brooding, you know, if we can say that brooding to some extent is, is, is a kind of, it can be a morbid, a morbid, morbid addiction to a negativity. But it doesn't so, have to be negative, huh? Well, you know, I think overall, I've read definitions that state that it isn't, but I think it really is for the most part. In the I do too. The self-experience, yeah. you know. The self-sabotage issue, I think, is linked to that because, you know, it's true. Sometimes we can have passive-aggressive kinds of actions that get in our own way because of unconscious reasons, um, you know, what's called unconscious guilt or, you know, wanting to not give ourselves all that we might be able to have in life because we feel guilty or we feel like we're getting more than other people. Or So, again, you know, whether it's a psychological state or a situation that we set up, it's not uncommon for people to put themselves in situations where they're hurting themselves. Right, right. It's interesting how people will do that and they don't even know it. Right. And there are tools and help for people out there, don't you think? And and they can learn better ways and unhook and do different kinds of behavioral therapies, things to think and do differently to really fill up their toolbox. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and one of the things that, you know, can be useful to try to, is when you really do look at your life and 
your relationships and your attachments, sometimes, you know, there are reasons why you might want to be getting in your own way. And, it's, and when you elucidate those things, it's, it's easier to rise yeah, or to free yourself. From it's so freeing, I would imagine. Yeah. It's like the lights go on and the sun comes out. Absolutely. Very nice. Dr. Grace Barron, tell me a little bit where we can find you and your book so we can tweet it away. For you. Right, well, oh, thank you very much. Okay, so it's called The Creativity Cure. Um, we're having the paperback come out um, in August. Very and nice. it's called The Creativity Cure, a do-it-yourself prescription for happiness. The website is thecreativitycure.com. And we are on Pinterest and Facebook and Twitter. And my co-author is my husband, Dr. Alton Barron, who is a hand surgeon and... Um, and a shoulder surgeon. And a shoulder surgeon, yes. And um, he and I are really very interested in, in using action and hand movement to... I mean, there's been research on this uh, to help people feel better. That's wonderful. Tell them congratulations. Okay. Thank you very much for your time, expertise, and we'll be tweeting you away. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank so, you. So, that was very interesting. That was Dr. Grace Barron. She's a board-certified psychiatrist, psychoanalyst. She and her husband, who was a uh, hand and soul, shoulder surgeon, wrote a book. They co-authored it, The Creativity Cure, a Do-It-Yourself Prescription for Happiness. Look at that book. I was looking at it the other day. It's pretty interesting. It's got a lot of good tools in it. And you can find it on thecreativitycure.com, which is their website. So uh, take a look. And she gave some really great tips today. We were talking about brooding and rumination. Definitely some things you need to take away from this. It is a very painful emotional state to be in. So whether you're aware of it or not, and whether you know you're brooding or ruminating, you're in pain. So you do need to reach out and get some help. The second thing to really understand about that process of the rumination or brooding is that you are in a circular thinking pattern of negativity and you're going downward. So it's not something that's going to ever bring you something productive or a resolution to whatever the conflict is that you're spinning about. So realize that as well and that you need to uh, really break through that cycle. For instance, when somebody breaks up with you, you can ruminate into why did they leave me? Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Versus, well, maybe it was something wrong with them also or all. It's thinking different ways, breaking through that pattern. And the third thing to really take a look at is Probably if you're ruminating a lot and it's really an issue for you, your self-esteem is at stake and you need to take a look at why things that you view as bad or negative happen to you, then start that cycle. So again, similar to when the breakup happens, if breakups happen because of different things and it's not always about you, believe it or not. So if you don't feel good about yourself, you're going to think that you did something wrong and somebody left you, but that's not necessarily the case. So looking at self-esteem is another key piece. And the fourth thing to take a look at at rumination is the self-sabotage piece of that because some people get addicted to the fact that they can stay negative, they can circle around it, they can feel bad, their life can fall apart, and then they can be a victim, and then they can feel sorry for themselves, and they just stay in that circle. So take a look at that as well because you'll want to break it. All of that information and a lot of great tips today on rumination and brooding, take a listen. It's on the website, www.drsylvie.com, on my iTunes free downloaded phone app, Dr. Sophie on call. Again, the website, www.drsophie.com or 1-855-767-4966, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Leave me your voicemails. Send me your emails. I am there. I want to hear about it. I want to know what's going on, what you need more of and what you don't need more of. 
Also, my book, Side by Side, The Revolutionary Mother-Daughter Conflict-Free Program for Better Communication. Get it. You need it. You'll have better relationships with your daughters if you're a mother and with your mother if you're a daughter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Follow me all around. Visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And the most important thing is don't forget to sweep. But you got to keep your head up. Oh, and you can let your head down. Hey, you got to keep your head up. Oh, and you can let your head down.